Hi, this is the Restless Ben Podcast, and I'm your host, Ben Orndorf. All the podcast stories are available, complete with pictures, at RestlessBen.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at RestlessBen, and subscribe to the Restless Ben YouTube channel for video compilations. Today's episode is about braving the autonomous region of Muslim Mindanao in pursuit of the Philippines' best beaches. Fight or flight sent an involuntary jolt through my body, and my heart thumped audibly as I saw something large moving off to my left at the edge of my peripheral vision. Without my spear gun, I always felt exposed in the open ocean, and I knew that the unexpected shot of adrenaline was going to burn through my oxygen. Freediving 40 feet down along Apo Island's coral shelf that dropped off into the abyss, I spun to face the potential threat. I was staring directly at a very large and curious, even dopey-looking green turtle, perhaps the least threatening creature in the sea. Smiling with relief, I cruised to the surface for air before spending a few minutes gently drifting along with my new friend. The slow, zen-like movement of the turtle was calming just to observe. Finding Nemo hit their personality on the head by depicting them as chilled-out, go-with-the-flow surfer bros. A few days earlier, I had made the journey from Chiang Mai, Thailand to Cebu, Philippines, with a 12-hour layover in Singapore. My friend Emily generously offered to put me up for the night and show me around her ritzy city-state. I gratefully accepted, despite knowing that cabs and food for the 12 hours in Singapore would run me what my entire previous week in northern Thailand had cost. After all, this visit would cross off my 68th country, and I'm trying to catch them all. Singapore has the feel of a place built by someone who keeps their action figures in the original packaging. Everything is remarkably clean and new to the point of being suspicious. The massive high-rise housing is reminiscent of a scene from The Matrix that shows pods containing countless human bodies whose energy is harvested by sentient machines in control of the post-apocalyptic world. The unconscious human batteries remain oblivious to this grim reality as they are engrossed in an artificial existence manufactured by their robotic overlords. After speaking with my cab driver, this seemed to be an apt comparison since the high taxes, spider web of government bureaucracy, and prevailing work culture create a widespread workaholic zombie epidemic. Sprinkle some in-your-face consumerism and you've got the perfect hamster wheel cocktail. Hyperbole? Okay, maybe a bit. Nonetheless, I was quite content to be a fun-employed visiting observer. We grabbed some obscenely priced dinner and drinks with a few of Emily's friends and walked to some of the iconic must-see buildings along the canal. It may not be my cup of tea, but the architecture, green space, and urban planning is objectively stunning. At 1 a.m. on a school night, we had the place to ourselves. After taking it all in, we headed back to Emily's spacious and modernly decorated apartment to get some sleep. At 5 a.m., I tried to slink out of the guest room under the cover of darkness, careful not to rouse my host's hairless nugget of a dog, Obi, but as I was slipping on my flip-flops, a bleary-eyed Emily shuffled out of her room to give me a goodbye hug. By late morning, I had arrived in the port city of Cebu and decided to head south to Dumaguete before beginning a counterclockwise loop of the archipelago. I hefted my backpack onto my shoulders and caught a series of public buses to the ferry terminal. When I have the time, I take great pleasure in avoiding the scams of airport taxi drivers. They love to mob the white guy, dollar signs in their eyes, as he walks out of the arrivals terminal. Taxi, sir? Translation. Want to pay 500% of what your fare should be, you dumb tourist? Me. No, thank you. I'm taking the bus. Translation. Haha, nice try, shitbag. Better luck next time. Thanks to the 7,000-some islands that make up the Philippines, ferry travel is cheap and easy to navigate, but it sometimes takes multiple days to reach a destination. En route to Dumaguete, I had to overnight in the unremarkable transport hub of Talabagan. Fortunately, I'm not in a rush. The next morning, I caught the ferry to the provincial capital of Dumaguete on the island of Negros. 
I quickly realized that I was no longer in Western backpacker land. This wasn't Thailand. There were other travels at my hostel, but most of them were Filipinos or Chinese. Between the language barrier and the cultural differences, regarding interaction with strangers, they showed little interest in communal area socialization. Time to shift gears to solo travel mode. Managing my expectations and approaching this new reality with the right mindset made all the difference in the world. I had just enjoyed several weeks in the western backpacker mecca of Pai, followed by a quiet week with a travel companion in the northern Thailand hinterlands. There was nothing wrong with spending some time alone exploring the mountains and reefs surrounding Dumaguete. Zipping south of the city limits along the tropical coastline on my rental scooter, I felt a rewarding rush of adventure as I embarked on a day trip to Apo Island. Freediving in the crystal clear waters above the refreshingly healthy coral reminded me how much fun I can have alone. On the walk back around the island, still grinning from my amazing freediving session, I picked up an empty rice sack and filled it with garbage which had washed up on shore. The place was an absolute island paradise, and the sight of washed up garbage moved me to action. Still dripping wet, I dropped off the sack while returning my rental fins to approving nods from the snorkel guides. The next few days were spent hiking to a waterfall, losing my sideburns to a 60 cent haircut miscommunication, and soaking up the Filipino culture. Spanish colonial rule from 1561 to 1898 has made the Philippines markedly different from its Southeast Asian neighbors. Catholicism, superstitious customs, and elements of Spanish language are a few of the more visible holdovers. American colonialism from 1898 to 1946 left a few quirky marks of its own, such as incorporation of American-style junk food into the national cuisine, a deep and abiding love of basketball, and Filipinized English words in Tagalog. But my favorite U.S. colonial legacy is embodied in the Jeepney, a modified Jeep Wrangler which constitutes an ostentatious staple of public transportation. In an effort to experience the local culture, I ate a fertilized, hard-boiled duck egg, but only after I saw a local eat one and live. The inside has a visible duck fetus, and looked like exactly what it was, a duck abortion carried out by a quack. Ah, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Feeling a bit queasy, I decided to sanitize my tummy with a local beer, San Miguel Pilsner. The nearest watering hole was a karaoke bar that, from its appearance, could have easily seconded as a meth lab. That seemed unlikely, however, considering that almost every drug dealer in the country has already been extrajudiciously executed in the past few years at the request of the infamously unconventional and uncouth president, Rodrigo Duterte. We'll be right back after this. Trying my best to forget the baby duck dish, I walked past the armed doorman and into a bar that was completely dark except for the glow of the TV screen, with text lighting up to prompt singers to stay on tempo. Perhaps this had been a mistake, but before I could get cold feet, a waitress that looked like she got shot in the face with a makeup gun was seated next to me with a karaoke book so fat that it would make an encyclopedia blush. My attempts to order a beer without singing were met with borderline hostility. Pick three songs, she demanded again with the authority of a high-ranking military officer. Can I just sing one? Not an option. She was not going to budge. So I picked out three songs, preemptively put the money on the table for my beer, and then chugged it with a sense of purpose. Unlike karaoke back in the States, there was no wait, and I barely finished pounding my beer before the microphone was thrust into my chest. Still burping, I belted out Summer of 69 to the delight of some hammered patrons, who clapped with alcohol-fueled enthusiasm. Now's my chance. I button-hooked around the couch and dashed out the door to freedom. I made a mental note that they take their karaoke very seriously here. 
The next morning, I caught an early morning ferry from Dumaguete down to Mindanao and headed east along the coast with my crosshairs on Camagan Island. Long a source of regional instability, the autonomous region in Muslim Mindanao still struggles with elements of the Abu Sayyaf group, a terrorist outfit that has aligned itself with the likes of the Islamic State. Even transiting along the northern coast, we passed through military checkpoints, which required passengers to get off the bus and walk through a screening process. Several buses, another ferry, and a harrowing moped taxi ride later, I arrived at Balangon Port, which is no more than a crossroads and the launching point for Camagan Island. Alas, at quarter past midnight, the last ferry had already departed, so I headed to a little working man's harborside hotel. The gate was open and the lights were on, but despite my best efforts, I couldn't find anyone to check me in. So I did what I do at airports and found my hole-up spot. Behind a long sofa in a dark sitting room, I stretched out on my sleeping pad and was out like a light. At 5.30 a.m., I caught the ferry to Camigan without ever seeing a hotel staff member. I rented a scooter, found the cheapest hostel, and took a much-needed nap. Camigan is a small, lush, tropical island whose natural beauty has somehow managed to fly under the radar of large-scale tourism. My days were filled chasing waterfalls, working out at the local gym for 40 cents a day, and freediving to the many reefs. There are also hot springs that could be more accurately described as lukewarm springs. Fun fact, when I was a kid, my parents would draw my younger brother Luke a bath and declare it lukewarm. For an embarrassingly long time, I was under the impression that lukewarm was the temperature my baby brother required for his evening soaks. Imagine my surprise when I heard strangers use the term. How did they know the temperature looked like this bath's? Was his bathing temperature preference a standard of measurement? Having thoroughly explored this delightful little garden island, I'm now setting my sights upon Shargao, where I hope to get back onto a surfboard.